Let us hear God's word. Romans 3, verse 10. As it is written, There is none righteous, no, not one. There is none who understands. There is none who seeks after God. They have all turned aside. They have together become unprofitable. There is none who does good, no, not one. Their throat is an open tomb. With their tongues they have practiced deceit. The poison of asps is under their lips, whose mouth is full of cursing and bitterness. Their feet are swift to shed blood. Destruction and misery are in their ways, and the way of peace they have not known. There is no fear of God before their eyes. The grass withers, the flower fades, but the word of our God endures forever. Amen. I was talking to someone here uh, in the last few weeks uh, about preaching through this section of Romans, and uh, I've been struck at how little Paul repeats himself. There is so much for us to understand and look at in regard to the extent of our sin that he has spent all these verses talking about it. Um, But now here, as he quotes these verses from the Old Testament, you might say Paul is finally repeating himself. But he's doing so as, if you will, a rubber stamp, a a final authoritative word uh, from God's word to affirm what he has been saying. Um, Now, last time, Paul gave us a summary conclusion of his main point that he started in chapter 1, verse 18, and that is simply, no one is righteous, not even as many as one person, obviously except for Christ. Paul here links together several Old Testament passages to demonstrate that these truths have been taught before. This isn't new to him. Now, in verses 10 to 12, he's primarily quoting from one passage. Psalm 14 and Psalm 53 basically say the exact same thing. And he focuses on the first few verses of those psalms. And uh, remember, they begin by saying, the fool says in their heart, there is no God. And Paul has been saying that we are all fools, Jews and Gentiles, because we all have turned from God to something that God has made, And all of us do not seek after God. We may seek after religion or feeling good about ourselves, but we don't really seek after God, nor do we truly understand. And even the most godly among us, this is true, we seek our own selfish ends, we seek to earn our salvation, and we seek to use religious activities to impress God and others. You do this, I do this, there are no exceptions, again, except for Christ. No one is fully and completely righteous, even now, as a believer. Well, Paul is linking together these pearls, this chain of citations here from the Old Testament, and uh, he now does um, a handful of them in these verses we'll look at here this morning. And uh, so let's look then at verses 13 and 14, where Paul now addresses the things that we say. So verse 13, their throat is an open tomb. With their tongues, they have practiced deceit. The poison of asps is under their lips. Note the, the progress here from the inside out. 
He has us starting from the inside of who we are and the words that come out through the throat and then the tongue and then the lips and beyond. And so you might say Paul here is quoting this passage that brings us from the heart to the ears of others. Notice the pronoun that he uses here. He says there. Now this is in part because of what he's quoting. But last time we saw the emphasis on the individual. Not even one person is righteous. Well, now he speaks in this more general sense, their throat, their mouth, and so forth. Um, And so now it's not as much of an individual focus, but more on this uh, corporate focus. But it's the same point in the end, isn't it? All of us are unrighteous, individually and together. So for the first one, he says about our throat. Our throat is an open tomb. Obviously, right, we can look down our throat and such with, uh, you know, mirrors and lights and so forth, but it's kind of like going down into a tomb. It's going down into the grave. It's filled with death and decay and bones. Think of the cave that is filled with dead bodies or even... As you're driving along the road, you see the dead deer with its feet sticking up and it's bloated and or totally blown apart or something to that effect. That's what's inside of us, and that's what comes out when we speak. Then he says about our tongues. Our tongues practice deceit. We deceive, we lie, we slander, we gossip, and so forth. Now, as I said at the beginning... Paul is now actually repeating himself by quoting these passages. And so let's look at chapter 1 and remember these words in verses 29 and following. Being filled with all unrighteousness, sexual morality, wickedness, covetousness, maliciousness, full of envy, murder, strife, deceit, evil-mindedness. They are whisperers, backbiters, haters of God, violent, proud, boasters, inventors of evil things, disobedient to parents, undiscerning, untrustworthy, unloving, unforgiving, unmerciful, who, know, who, knowing the righteous judgment of God that those who practice such things are deserving of death, not only do the same, but also approve of those who practice them. Now, we could take every one of these things that he listed and focus on the tongue. Some of them specifically focus on the tongue, And obviously that's uh, his emphasis here in chapter 3. Now, to the third line of verse 13. The poison of asps is under their lips. Our lips drip with snake venom. You might say that our tongues flick like a snake. Here now the lips are dripping with venom. We strike people with our words are poisonous words. Our words bring pain. They bring illness and maybe even death. In chapter 2, Paul also spoke of the tongue. You recall there in verse 1, Therefore you are inexcusable, a man, whoever you are who judge. For in whatever you judge another, you condemn yourself. For you who judge practice the same things. As we talked about, this emphasizes those who are moral, those who think they're better than. And of course, we can judge in our hearts, but that very frequently comes out in our words. We criticize, 
We condemn people. We look down on them in our minds. We are prideful in our words as well as our actions. All right, so Paul's point here, of course, is to reinforce his main point. We all do this in one way or another. Some may be worse than others. There may be times in our lives where we do a better job than others, but we all have done this. Our words have hurt people. Well, as I've said, of course, Paul is quoting the Old Testament. So let's look then at that. First of all, let's turn to Psalm 5. <clears throat> now, you may recall me preaching through Psalm 5 here, um, and uh, that this Psalm of David had to do with people who spoke against him. So let's just read through it here briefly. Psalm 5, to the chief musician with flutes, a Psalm of David. Give ear to my words, O Lord, consider my meditation. Give heed to the voice of my cry, my King and my God. For to you I will pray, my voice you shall hear in the morning, O Lord. In the morning I will direct it to you, and I will look up. And so David is crying out to God, basically to hear him. Why? Verse 4, for you are not a God who takes pleasure in wickedness, nor shall evil dwell with you. The boastful shall not stand in your sight. You hate all workers of iniquity. You shall destroy those who speak falsehood. The Lord abhors the bloodthirsty and deceitful man. Now, that certainly includes actions, but note the emphasis on the words there. Verse 7, but as for me, I will come into your house in the multitude of your mercy. In fear of you, I will worship towards your holy temple. Lead me, O Lord, in your righteousness because of my enemies. Make your way straight before my face. For there is no faithfulness in their mouth. Now note the progression here. Their inward part is destruction. Their throat is an open tomb. They flatter with their tongue. Pronounce them guilty, O God. Let them fall by their own counsels. Cast them out in the multitude of their transgressions, for they have rebelled against you. But let all those rejoice who put their trust in you. Let them ever shout for joy because you defend them. Let those also who love your name be joyful in you, for you, O Lord, will bless the righteous. With favor you will surround him as with a shield. Now Paul's going to explain, of course, in verse 21 of chapter 3 and following, how we can be considered righteous. Uh, right now he's saying none of us are righteous in and of ourselves. So David is, if you will, taking us the next step. But notice what he is saying and note what Paul is quoting there, especially in verse 9. As David is crying out to God for help because the wicked were speaking against him especially, okay, notice that this emphasis here is on fellow Israelites. We don't know exactly what David is referencing, but it is very likely Saul or Absalom or Shimei it could be something else. It could be Philistines or Moabites, but the emphasis of the psalm seems to be directing us to fellow Israelites who were speaking these things against David. And so in verse 9, right, it starts from a corrupt inner part. The inner part is destroyed, destruction. And now the quote, their throat is an open tomb. And they're a little bit different here. They flatter with their tongue. Now, this is very similar to the word deceive, obviously. When you flatter people, you are deceiving them. 
You're buttering them up. You're trying to say all these wonderful things, not for their benefit, but for your benefit. When we flatter someone, we are wanting something in return. So we use these smooth and flattering words, and they are false in the end. And so hence the change to deceit. But again, very much the same idea. All right, let's turn then to Psalm 140. We could obviously say many things about each of these, but uh, just a few things here for us today. Psalm 140, um, let's read this psalm as a whole as well. To the chief musician, a psalm of David. Deliver me, O Lord, from evil men. Preserve me from violent men who plan evil things in their hearts. They continually gather together for war. They sharpen their tongues like a serpent, the poison of asps, is under their lips. Selah. Keep me, O Lord, from the hands of the wicked. Preserve me from violent men who have purposed to make my steps stumble. The proud have hidden a snare for me and cords. They have spread a net by the wayside. They have set traps for me. Selah. Sounds like that could be Absalom. Could be Saul. Okay. Certainly it could be the Philistines or somebody else as well. Verse 6. I said to the Lord, you are my God. Hear the voice of my supplications, O Lord. O God, the Lord, the strength of my salvation, you have covered my head in the day of battle. Do not grant, O Lord, the desires of the wicked. Do not further his wicked scheme, lest they be exalted. Selah. As for the head of those who surround me, let the evil of their lips cover them. Let burning coals fall upon them. Let them be cast into the fire, into deep pits, that they rise not up again. Let not the slanderer be established in the earth. Let evil hunt the violent man to overthrow him. I know that the Lord will maintain the cause of the afflicted and justice for the poor. Surely the righteous shall give thanks to your name. The upright shall dwell in your presence. Obviously, we have a similar thought here. Uh, this one does seem to communicate warfare, whereas the other one did not so much. Um, so maybe this is referring to the Moabites or Edomites or something to that effect. But note again the emphasis on actions and words, and obviously Paul is emphasizing that point. And so as David is crying out to God for help, he calls on God to judge the wicked, um, and um, right, this is a common theme in the Psalms. Verse 3, obviously, is what David, or excuse me, is uh, Paul is quoting. <clears throat> and note the first line, they sharpen their tongues like a serpent. Okay, so you picture the, the snake, right, shooting out the tongue and so forth. And then the poison of asps was under their lips. So here is what Paul specifically quotes. Death, injury, harm, illness comes from words, often with a smile on their face, too. You listen to the evil rulers of our day, or you listen to the talking heads on the news media, or the celebrities, or something to that effect. They're often very attractive, handsome, say very wonderfully sounding things, but it's designed to deceive. It's designed to harm for so many of them. Okay? And so, certainly in the last... Um, 
you know, year or so, whatever, we've been focusing on the war of Ukraine and now here with Israel and Hamas, arguments of war, arguments for open borders, arguments for all kinds of things. Hey, they say it with a smile on their face. Right? And during the shutdown, hey, you're not allowed to go anywhere. You know, this fake smile on their face. <laughs> hey, you've, you've got to do this or we're going to get mad at you. <laughs> oh, this is so wonderful. We're going to help people. We're going to save people's lives. And you're going to love your neighbor and yada, yada, yada. But if you're paying attention, the whole goal here is to reduce world population. Hey, Bill Gates, listen to what he says. He's advocating for the vaccine because they want to control world population. They say it with a smile on their face, but there is poison dripping from their lips. But it's not just out there. As we've seen here in the Psalms, David is referring at least in part to people in Israel. Even in the churches, we see these things, don't we? How often... Do we listen to and spread gossip, and then a few moments later, we pray and sing together? We certainly can talk about false teaching. Oftentimes, it sounds very good. It sounds convincing. It sounds biblical. But as we watched here a month or so ago, the enemies within the church, there is much false teaching that is circulating in the churches here in America. We need to be careful. This is a snake-like activity. And so whether we're talking about hearsay or heresy, certainly these words apply in this way. What about our homes? Do we have poison dripping off our lips at home? Surely we do. How often in our homes do we criticize people? And then maybe a few days later, we see that very person we're criticizing in our homes. And we say, oh, it's great to see you. I miss seeing you or, you know, whatever. How often do we use our deadly throats and tongues to criticize our children or manipulate our spouse? All of this and much more come from a wicked heart, a wicked heart that then from that proceeds all of these evil words. You know, we often say sticks and stones will break my bones, but names will never hurt me. Now, it's usually the other way around. Sticks and stones may break bones, but sometimes words are more deadly and more painful. Sometimes those words are harsh. Sometimes they're soft and pleasant. Paul's point here is, I'm not saying anything new, guys. We see this in the Old Testament. And Paul's point is, I'm not just applying this to some people. We must see this idea for us all. Let's turn to a few other passages, string a few more pearls here. Let's go to Genesis chapter 6. Genesis chapter 6. <clears throat> I'm going to trace this progress a bit, you might say. Genesis 6, this is, of course, when uh, God's going to destroy the world with a flood. And in verse 5, his analysis is this. 
The Lord saw that the wickedness of man was great in the earth, and that every intent of the thoughts of his heart was only evil continually. And so the obvious implication is, out of that came evil words and evil actions, and so he destroys the world. Let's turn next to Matthew and chapter 15. Matthew chapter 15. This is in the context of the disciples not washing their hands ceremonially before they ate. And the religious leaders got upset and Jesus responds. And then he explains to the disciples. Verse 16. Matthew 15, 16. Are you also still without understanding? Do you not yet understand that whatever enters the mouth goes into the stomach is eliminated? But those things which proceed out of the mouth come from the heart, and they defile a man. For out of the heart proceed evil thoughts, murders, adulteries, fornications, thefts, false witness, blasphemies. These are the things which defile a man, but to eat with unwashed hands does not defile a man. Again, it's a matter of the heart. And then one more here, James chapter 3. James here obviously focuses on the tongue. James 3, and recall these words beginning in verse 1. My brethren, let not many of you become teachers, right? We use our tongues a lot. Knowing that we shall receive a stricter judgment, for we all stumble in many things. If anyone does not stumble in word, he is a perfect man, able also to bridle the whole body. Let me pause there just a moment. If we can control our tongues, that's an indication that our heart is right. But of course, none of our hearts are. So verse 3, indeed, we put bits in horses' mouths that they may obey us, and we turn their whole body. Look also at ships. Although they are so large and are driven by fierce winds, they are turned by a very small rudder wherever the pilot desires. Even so, the tongue is a little member and boasts great things. See how great a forest a little fire kindles, and the tongue is a fire, a world of iniquity. The tongue is so set among our members that it defiles the whole body and sets on fire the course of nature, and it is set on fire by hell. For every kind of beast and bird, of reptile and creature of the sea is tamed and has been tamed by mankind, but no man can tame the tongue. It is an unruly evil, full of deadly poison. With it we bless our God and Father, and with it we curse men who have been made in the similitude of God. Out of the same mouth proceed blessing and cursing. My brethren, these things ought not to be so. Does a spring send forth fresh water and bitter from the same opening? Can a fig tree, my brethren, bear olives, or a grapevine bear figs? Thus no spring yields both salt water and fresh. Now obviously here James is calling us to use our tongues in a better way. Paul's point, of course, is to say that our tongues are constantly sinning. We never do anything perfectly, and so we deserve judgment. Well, let's come back then to Romans 3. And Paul then has another verse here, another quotation regarding our tongues. And so verse 14, whose mouth is full of cursing and bitterness. And so he, if you will, 
broke them apart, so to speak. We talked about the throat, the tongue, and the lips. Now the whole mouth, everything. Okay? And note the, the word full here as well. It's not just an occasional bitter word. It's not just oh, every once in a while we slip up and curse. Uh, our mouths are full. Regularly putting other people down. Regularly pointing out sins in others, but not in ourselves, of course. And usually it's not in other people's presence. Maybe we do these things in our minds, but they do come out of our mouths too. How many of us here in maybe the last few days or a week or so, we've returned from our holiday gatherings with family and friends. And how many times have we then vented We've criticized about something that someone said or did during the Christmas meal or the giving of gifts or something to that effect. How many times do we return bitter because we won't forgive someone for something they did maybe many, many years ago? How often do we curse rather than bless even our own extended family? Again, Paul's point is clear. We all have failed. So let's then look at the quotation. This one is from Psalm 10. Psalm 10. Again, let's read it in its context here. doesn't specifically say he wrote this, but probably David did. So Psalm 10, verse 1. Why do you stand afar off, O Lord? Why do you hide in times of trouble? The wicked in his pride persecutes the poor. Let them be caught in the plots which they have devised. For the wicked boasts of his heart's desire. He blesses the greedy and renounces the Lord. The wicked in his proud countenance does not seek God. God is in none of his thoughts. His ways are always prospering. Your judgments are far above out of his sight. As for all his enemies, he sneers at them. He has said in his heart, I shall not be moved. I shall never be in adversity. His mouth is full of cursing and deceit and oppression. Under his tongue is trouble and iniquity. He sits in the lurking places of the villages. In the secret places, he murders the innocent. His eyes are secretly fixed on the helpless. He lies in wait secretly as a lion in his den. He lies in wait to catch the poor. He catches the poor when he draws him into his net. So he crouches. He lies low that the helpless may fall by his strength. He has said in his heart, God has forgotten. He hides his face. He will never see. Arise, O Lord, O God, lift up your hand. Do not forget the humble. Why do the wicked renounce God? He has said in his heart, you will not require an account. But you have seen, for you observe trouble and grief to repay it by your hand. The helpless commits himself to you. You are the helper of the fatherless. Break the arm of the wicked and the evil man. Seek out his wickedness until you find none. The Lord is king forever and ever. The nations have perished out of his land. Lord, you have heard the desire of the humble. You will prepare their hearts. You will cause your ear to hear, to do justice to the fatherless and the oppressed, that the man of the earth may oppress no more. Obviously, there's a lot here, but notice Paul quoting specifically from verse 7. Okay, the wicked oppress the poor, they oppress the weak, Sometimes this is done through words. Sometimes this is done through actions, usually both. 
Notice how the Hebrew here says about the mouth is full of cursing and deceit and oppression. Three things, whereas Paul only quotes two. Okay, he talks about cursing and bitterness. Okay, so um, that's because the Greek translation uses the word bitter rather than uh, the word for deceit. Um, so hence the change. But obviously it's very much the same idea. And Paul's only quoting part of this. Now think about this. Notice especially the words there in verse, uh, sorry, the heart in verse 6, the words in verse 7, and then the actions in verses 8 and following. They all go together. Okay? And so notice here about lying in wait, secretly trying to oppose people. Okay? Again, Paul's point here is to say it's not just those people that do this applies to us all in one way or another. All right, let's come back here to Romans 3. And Paul now turns his attention from words to actions in verses 15 to 17. So let's look at this here briefly. Verse 15, their feet are swift to shed blood. Note again, he uses the pronoun there, referring to all the unrighteous but still referring to us individually as well. Uh, notice here the word for feet. Okay. <clears throat> the emphasis here is not, of course, our actual feet, but everywhere we go, all that we do, not just the things that we say. And notice that our feet are swift. We are quick. We are eager to shed blood. Now, shedding blood can refer to literal things. A literal shedding of blood. So we might think of the flash mobs and the smash and grabs that are going on in the cities or the riots or maybe fans after the team wins. Um, certainly we can think of wars. You think of Hamas and Russia and Iran, but even Israel, Ukraine and America, the war hawks especially. And certainly this is part of the application. But the Bible, as we just read in Psalm 10, also speaks of shedding blood in a more figurative way. Maybe you don't shed a drop of blood literally, but you can shed someone's blood by harming their livelihood. Okay? And so the Bible regularly speaks of the poor and the oppressed and uh, how the, the wealthy and the powerful shed their blood in this way. And so we might today talk about lawfare, and obviously, the poor and the weak don't have money to hire all kinds of lawyers. And so the rich and the powerful, they just throw the law around and allow us to try to, uh, to survive, as it were. Uh, maybe you've been hearing about some of the debanking that is going on. Uh, this is uh, especially true in England, but also happening here in our country to some degree. And this is the idea that somebody puts money into a bank but the bank says, well, we don't agree with your political views or religious views, so we're not going to let you use your money. Okay. This is a form of shedding blood. You're stealing and, of course, harming that person's livelihood. We could talk about the entrapment of the welfare system. I said a little bit ago, right, it's often always combined with lots of really nice-sounding things especially when it comes for welfare. We're helping the poor, right? 
war against poverty and yada, yada, yada. But those who get involved in it frequently become trapped and it actually takes their livelihood. We could talk about an inflationary policy. This is a form of shedding blood. Oh, we hear, yeah, let's raise the minimum wage so that the people on the bottom can make more money. Well, when you do that, then things cost more. And so it really is not changing. In fact, usually it's the other way around. Time value of money typically doesn't go as fast as inflation in the long run. It wasn't that many years ago you could buy a brand new Corvette for $7,000. 50 years later, it's certainly different. Okay. This is a form of shedding blood against the poor and the weak especially. The rich can survive inflation, but those of us living from paycheck to paycheck can't. We could talk about woke courtrooms and people who are set free with this open uh, uh, no-bail policies and so on and so forth, right? All kinds of things like this. We could talk about the abortion industry. This is an actual shedding of blood, obviously. We could talk about the election games. This is an oppression against the, the weak and the poor. Okay. On and on we could go examples here and so whether we are slandering someone with our words or we're ruining somebody's reputation or not helping the needy actually but gaining more power if we do not speak up against someone who is oppressed you know all these things are forms of shedding blood so don't just think of the school shootings in Iowa or the stabbings on the subway or in a courtroom maybe you heard about the other day uh, or the bully beating somebody up. Okay. These non-blood-shedding, literally, actions apply to. And so with that in mind, we've done this too, haven't we? Let's look at verse 16. Destruction and misery are in their ways. Obviously, we can talk about wars. We can talk about Policies that result in homelessness, 17% increase here under Biden, for example. We can talk about inner city gangs. We can talk about the mob. We can talk about polluting air and water, as well as minds and hearts with the gay agenda. Okay. We can talk about destruction and misery in so many different ways. Okay. It seems like we... Remember what he said in chapter 1, we invent ways of doing evil. There's so many ways we can apply these ideas. So then verse 17, and the way of peace they have not known. They may talk about being loving and helping and caring, but uh, Paul is saying, you really don't know what you're talking about. You're not going in the right way. The word for way in the Bible frequently refers to a way of life, how we live, the way of peace. We do not know, he says. We don't know that way. We, our GPS doesn't work properly. We make wrong turns, as it were. And so ultimately, again, Paul is saying, none of us know this way. The word here for know is not the word to know about something, but to intimately, personally know. We don't know this way constantly and perfectly. 
We don't forgive. We criticize and condemn. We cut people off. Maybe we're so deferential that our children are full of angst and resentment. Or we are so intent on avoiding conflict that we appease everyone at the expense of truth and integrity. Endless examples. All right, so, again, Paul is quoting things here to put this stamp of authority. So let's turn here then to Proverbs chapter 1, verse 15. Uh, He quotes from here, Proverbs 1. Okay, let's read the, the broader section here. Let's begin in verse 10. Proverbs 1, verse 10. This is Solomon speaking to his son. My son, if sinners entice you, do not consent. If they say, come with us, let us lie in wait to shed blood. Let us lurk secretly for the innocent without cause. Let us swallow them alive like Sheol and whole like those who go down to the pit. We shall find all kinds of precious possessions. We shall fill our houses with spoil. Cast in your lot among us. Let us all have one purse. My son... Do not walk in the way with them. Keep your foot from their path, for their feet run to evil, and they make haste to shed blood. See how Paul kind of puts all that together in a short clause. Surely in vain the net is spread in the sight of any bird, but they lie in wait for their own blood. They lurk secretly for their own lives. So are the ways of everyone who is greedy for gain. It takes away the life of its owner. So, so obviously the context here is Solomon is warning his son not to go that way. Because in the end, that way ends in destruction. Right? It's how he ends here in these last few verses. Paul, though, quotes this and says, <clears throat> It's not just you know, the bad guys, you know, that, that rough crowd at school or something like that. You know, we, we all do this. In one way or another. Let's turn also to chapter 6. Here in Proverbs. Hey, some similar words here. Roman, or excuse me, Proverbs 6 verse 12. A worthless person, a wicked man, walks with a perverse mouth. He winks with his eyes. He shuffles his feet. He points with his fingers. Perversity is in his heart. He devises evil continually. He sows discord. Therefore, his calamity shall come suddenly. Suddenly he shall be broken without remedy. These six things the Lord hates. Yes, seven are abomination to him. A proud look, a lying tongue, hands that shed innocent blood, a heart that devises wicked plans, feet that are swift in running to evil, a false witness who speaks lies, and one who sows discord among brethren. We've all done all seven of those things, haven't we? Let's turn then to Isaiah chapter 59. Here now is the other passage that Paul quotes. Isaiah 59, of course we read this passage earlier. And um, i just reference that here in your memory. Let's focus especially then on verse 7. Their feet run to evil, and they make haste to shed innocent blood. Their thoughts are thoughts of iniquity. Wasting and destruction are in their paths. 
the way of peace they have not known, and there is no justice in their ways. They've made themselves crooked paths. Whoever takes that way shall not know peace. <clears throat> Again, Paul saying that's the way we go. Surely we can say unbelievers do this. Surely we can say that the pagans do not love their neighbor. But Isaiah here is speaking to Israel. Israelites were not having justice. They were going these wicked ways. Solomon calls on his son to avoid the wicked, and there are many of those wicked who were in Israel, not just the other lands. David, his oppressors, at least at times, were fellow Israelites. Paul is quoting scripture here. He's not appealing to uh, a, a natural law or anything. And so we too as believers fall short in loving our neighbor perfectly and loving one another as God says. So whether it's Gentiles or whether it's Jews, whether it's people who go to church or those who do not, no one is righteous, not even one, not with our tongues, not with our actions. And it's because there is an inner corruption There is a deadness of soul. There is a hatred for God. There is a bondage that binds us that we cannot escape. And we don't want to escape. And so Paul, you might say, is pouring it on here. After saying all these things before, he now brings it together in this way to remind us to emphasize the point. And so again, I say to you, do not sit there and say, well, the other person's worse than me. Because we are not comparing ourselves to others. We must compare ourselves to God and his word. And we all fall short of the glory of God. Well, next time we will look at his final quotation and begin looking at his final words in this section. So let's pray together. Our Father and God, we thank you again for your word. We thank you again for these hard words because we do not like to think about them and we constantly are trying to explain them away, thinking that we are better than we really are. Lord, we pray that you would help us to heed these words so that it will force us to turn to you in humility and faith and repentance. May this be our um, response, not just once, where we may pray a sinner's prayer or something like that, but may this be our daily response, our moment-by-moment response. Show us the depravity of ourselves, even as your people. Not to crush us or destroy us, but to crush our pride and to encourage us to turn to you even more than we already have. Lord, we are again thankful for your word and the the teaching here in this way. And so Lord, help us to hear and obey. And we pray all this then in Jesus' name. Amen.